Let's listen now to God's word from 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 2-2. Here is the word of God for us this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you, to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. For the children this morning, uh, we're looking at a text that talks about being uh, dishonest. It talks about lying. So I want to ask the children here this morning, can you remember this week when you did not tell the truth? Can you remember a time this week when your mom asked you something and you told her something that wasn't true? Like, did you make up your bed? And you go, yes, ma'am. But you didn't make up your bed. Or did you do this chore that I asked you to do? Yeah, I did it, and you didn't do it. Let me ask the children this morning, when you tell something that's not true, how does it feel to say a lie? What does it feel like to not be honest with your siblings, um, with your parents, with your friends? How does it feel? I can remember when I was a little kid, it would hurt my heart. My heart would hurt. I would feel sad that I was doing something that I knew was wrong, but I knew I was getting away with something. Or it would hurt my head, or head and heart at the same time. God has come in Jesus Christ to help us to learn how to not be afraid of speaking the truth, even when it hurts more to be honest. Like, did you break that? Did you do that? Uh, and you say, no, I didn't do it. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. There is a way to tell the truth and live in the truth that Jesus has made for us, which really feels pretty wonderful when you can be honest about something you've done or doing, which is wrong. And as we come to the text this morning, we're going to see some things that are pretty amazing. Now, we've been doing a study from a book called Gentle and Lowly about learning to take Jesus' yoke. Last week we looked at verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 2 that we have Jesus, our advocate, who is a priest friend, who has come to tell us the truth so that we want to live in the truth of who he is and who we are and participate in his story. The great thing about being a follower of Jesus is that Jesus never gives up on us and he's constantly saying to us, come back into my story for your story. So often we are invited, as we'll see this morning, to, or we let ourselves give into 
living in somebody else's story, our own story in a way that we can't understand how we got so far away, how we got so messed up in our journey with him. I remember I was a young follower of uh, Jesus um, as a college student, and I just had this idea, it was sort of like a stepping, uh, like a ladder of steps. You got better and better and better and better. And although I felt like I was getting better, I remember being in a conference where a man was speaking and been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And the title of his book, which he was speaking from, is How Come It's Taken Me So Long to Get Better? Do you ever feel that way as a follower of Jesus? Like, man, I, I'm, I know a lot. I've been around church a lot. Why am I still such a mess? Why do I still struggle so much? Now, what we're going to see in this text and what we're going to go through together is John, who's writing to these people, probably around 70 or 80 AD. It's been 30 plus years since uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. John was known as this amazing apostle. He was the closest to Jesus of all the disciples. They had a special bond. Uh, John, wherever he traveled, wherever he went, and he was probably uh, in his late 70s, early 80s when he's writing this letter, he was known as the apostle of love. Wherever he'd go, he'd say, let me tell you about the love of Christ. And when he starts off this letter, he's saying, he, in the beginning, Jesus was from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the gospel of John. Um, and uh, Genesis going back, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John starts off the first few verses, he is elevating the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is. And he ends in verse four and he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy, your joy may be full, complete. And then he goes to this, he says, this is the message that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And what we're gonna see him do here is he's gonna go after the hearts of the people. He's calling us out. He's calling the people that he was writing this letter back then and to us. He's calling us out like it's like, whoa, I was just warming up to all this stuff about joy and the beauty of Jesus. And he's going to call me out. And here's the three things he's going to say. Here's three ways that you are living with uh, darkness. You're being dishonest. You're not being truthful. Uh, and Jesus warned against hypocrisy. He warned against uh, a life of self-sufficiency, superiority, and just being out and out selfish. Jesus warns us against that. And John is going to come after that in a very kind and loving way, but he's gonna call them out. So the first thing he's gonna say is, um, but if we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we gather together today, we've sung, we confessed, but are we allowing darkness to crowd out the light? Are we allowing the darkness of what's going around us to rob us? of the joy that John is saying, I want you to live in the fullness of the joy. Now, here's one of the ways that you know you're walking in darkness is that you're easily distracted. It's hard for you to focus on the truth of who God is and what Jesus wants to do for you. There's so many things coming at us so rapidly, images, 
music, TV shows, you name it, news channel, all that. And we just find ourselves sort of spiritually ADD. Now, I'm a little bit ADD because Rowie will tell you, we'll be talking, have this great conversation, and I'll go, squirrel, <laughs> you know? It's kind of like the, the dog, you know? It's like, there's a squirrel. Uh, or as our uh, wonderful golden retriever is discovering Cambridge, there are a lot of rabbits, you know? So maybe I'll be walking along and everything's going great. All of a sudden, I, my arms are almost chatting, you know, jerked out of socket. He's, he's seeing rabbits for the first time. It's like, whoa. So it's kind of fun with him, this little sidebar. I'll say, Moby, where's that rabbit? And he'll just like, whoa, okay. Um, but to come back to darkness is distracting. It, it leads us away from what, listen to what John says here. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now we're going to come back and say, well, what is the truth? What is it we need to be practicing so we're not so easily distracted or we're beginning to find a way to live our lives where we're laser focused on the thing that really matters. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher said, purity of heart is to will one thing. And that's a little clue to what is the practicing the truth is this desire to maintain and sustain a pure heart so that I can see God and in everything that I do and what I'm about. Now, uh, the way we get distracted is, again, we're invited into other stories. What the world says, what the devil says, uh, what our own heart says. And uh, one of the ways you can know you're in spiritual warfare is you're living with a conscience that's weighed down with this accusation that something is really wrong with you. Uh, that you're incurably hopeless. Now that's, that's more than a distraction, that's a lie. Scott Peck, a few years ago, uh, wrote an amazing book called The Road Less Travel, sold a bazillion copies. But then he wrote a book called People of the Lie. And he writes a book about people who are so convinced they're right and truthful, but they're doing horrific things. And we see that in our culture, don't we? We see a lot of things going on that are so palpably dishonest, and yet people are convinced they're true. Uh, but I want to back up and just say, are there things that are distracting you because you're believing something that the world or yourself or your enemy is telling you about yourself? that that's more defining than the truth of who you are. So when you get involved in doing addiction recovery with people, and I've worked with a number of addicts, one of the exercises is like this. Um, the lie I tell myself is, but the truth is. The lie I tell myself is, it's the lie I'm believing, which allows me to feel justified and distracting, like, I deserve this, I earn this, I should be able to do whatever I want. Or to have this deep sense of voice inside of you saying, I can do it all by myself. That's the selfishness, that's the self-orientation, that's the self-sufficiency that Jesus said, watch out for this, because you can use your faith to justify staying very much within the realm of your own control. But what about the person who really feels hopelessly like they're a, a loser, okay? 
uh, that they're not good enough, that they just feel right on their forehead. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. They feel like a loser. Some of you know this story. This guy uh, down in the south is stopping into a little mini mart, 7-Eleven gas station to go into the uh, store uh, to buy some things while he's filling up his car. He walks to the store and there's a parrot uh, uh, in the store that as soon as he walks in, he hears the parrot say, you're a loser. Okay, and he whips around, he laughs. What is kind of crazy stuff is this, you know? Keeps shopping, he's looking around, and he turns the corner and he hears the parrot say, you're a loser. And now he's getting a little irritated. As he's walking to the counter, he hears the parrot say again, you're a loser. <laughs> and so he turns to the guy who owns the store and said, if you don't do something with that parrot, you know, bad things are going to happen. So the guy goes over, the owner rattles the cage and says, do not say you're a loser again. And so, uh, so as the guy's walking out, the parrot squawks at him and he turns around and he goes, what? And the parrot goes, you know what? <laughs> it's so devious how we buy into things that are not true. And even though we know they're not true, they control us. We begin to believe the story that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough. We begin to have this sort of sense of gloom and doom that what's wrong with me? I, I'm really set up. And then when those kind of things start to happen, we get distracted from the truth, which is this, is that in Christ, you are a treasure of the living God. In Christ, you are someone who is looked upon as if you were the only person and you are the apple of Jesus' eye. Jesus takes so much delight in each one of you who calls on his name today. And here's how you can know that you're walking in the truth. Your heart is thrilled that God loves you so much. It's defining, it's definitive, it's who I am. The truth is that I belong to Jesus Christ. And he has purchased me at, at such a great price. But here's one of the ways you can know you're missing out on our advocate coming to you and telling you the truth is that you're just easily distracted. You're having a hard time. Oh, I know I need to read the Bible. I know I need to pray. I know I need to be a community group. I know I need to be da 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 you know, all these things. But all of a sudden, you waste a whole day. <laughs> or you're kind of lost in your thoughts, and you're just, you're just distracted. It's spiritual warfare. It's the darkness of the world that we live in. In verse 8, he goes on. He's really, again, he's coming after them, and I'm putting in words that help me understand it. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We become deceived. The writer of the Hebrews says, beware of the deceitfulness of sin. Um, beware of it. So uh, again, I love this. I heard it this summer. Is that if the devil can't get you to do the wrong, he'll get you to do the right wrong. And you're never more dangerous than when you're right. That's when you hurt other people. That's when you hurt yourself. When you take over and begin to try and navigate and control your world using truth to try and get an outcome that's really about something you want for yourself rather than what God wants for you. One of the reasons that we do confession here is it's a part of our journey individually and corporately. Some of you know Ben Barnes, uh, Bradley Barnes' uh, son. Ben grew up in this church until they went out to 
Christ the King Newton and Ben went to Wake Forest University. He's now living in Georgia. And it's a really cool part of his story. If you know Ben, he's a big kayaker. He's actually training with the Olympic team for Paris in open water kayaking on the lakes down in Georgia. But Ben went to uh, uh, a church uh, recently in Bradley uh, that some of you know, asked his son, well, Ben, what'd you think of the church? And he says, I'm not going back to that church. Why would I go to a church that doesn't have confession? Now it's one of these warm evangel evangelical churches and a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff, but Ben was saying, I understand how important it is to confess the struggle that I'm having and the sins that are going on in me. But when the truth is not in us, here's the thing that kind of slips in and, and John's trying to help them come out of one, the distraction of the darkness, but the deception that I do not need a savior or that I, uh, I'm sort of beyond a lot of things that are basic to the faith. Um, so he, here's uh, a lie I might tell myself. Um, the lie I tell myself is that uh, I am justified in holding on to this resentment against this person because of what he did to me. The truth is, is that um, I need to forgive him as God has forgiven me. Uh, I need to show him the forgiveness that God has shown me. So, um, you know, what does that look like? Well, it means I've got to address a spirit of superiority in me. Here's one of the giveaways that we're walking in darkness and we're deceived and the truth is not in us is, is that we're very critical and very judgmental of other people who don't do it the way we would do it. Um, there is a couple out of Seattle, a Jewish couple, they do a lot of work, probably one of the best books of marriage is their book, The Gottmans, out of Seattle. They've got a great website. They've got a lot of great material to share with couples about marriage. But in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, he focuses on, on the Gottmans because Joel Gottman, the husband who's a major league researcher, who's interviewed all these couples, he says, within a short period of time, I can tell you if this marriage will make it. And he said, the critical issue is, does one of the partners have contempt for the other one? If you find contempt going on, now this is real darkness, okay, in, in a marriage relationship, where one of the members feels superior to the other one, then the lie I tell myself is that, why doesn't Valerie see things the way I want to do them? Why does she, she appreciate this or whatever? and suddenly creep into my own relationship with Valerie is this sense and spirit of superiority which leads to entitlement, which leads to all kinds of craziness. Um, part of darkness, uh, part of what goes on when we become deceived, we justify feeling superior to other people and why our churches are not more full than they are and why we're not doing more for God than we could be is that when you begin to have the spirit of the older brother, where you judge people quickly and say, I thank you like I am not like Tyler Holly, <laughs> you know? You know, I'm just picking on Tyler. But, you know, Lord, I just, you know, you have that spirit. I thank you that I'm not like this, or I don't go to that church, or I don't believe these things. And you pick the political party that you find the most distaste for and go, I thank you, God, that I, you know, not like that. 
And do you sense the contempt that's in your spirit for people you disagree with? Um, The truth is, is that God has so met me to fill me with compassion for people I disagree with. Fill me with compassion who are my enemies. One of my best friends had to work through a very difficult thing and I walked him through a number of difficult things, but this was one of the most painful that he grew up in a family that was this large corporation business. His grandfather ran the corporation. He was being groomed to do that. He chose to go another direction, which brought down a lot of terrible stuff from his grandfather. But his grandfather was the kind of person who was a patriarch, a narcissist, who controlled the family, the organization in a way that as long as you were nice to him and good to him and did what he said, he was great. But if you disappointed him, he made you pay. And when his grandfather died, he was with his father, and his father turned to my friend and said, I'm so glad he's dead. He can't hurt anybody else anymore. So that's what he grew up with, uh, by a grandfather who really took the place of his father and tried to control his outcome, his destiny, and say, you will live in my story. And my friend resisted. My friend was a believer, and he didn't, but he got hurt by his grandfather in a major way. And so he really struggled with being bitter, unforgiving, and yeah, the lie he would tell himself is, I'm so glad my grandfather's no longer alive. I'm so glad that he da 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 That was the lie he'd tell himself. So he was so out of sync because it was hurting his heart because he knew he felt right to do the wrong thing. He realized, I need to change. So he goes to a friend who's a good uh, counselor, spiritual director, he says, all right, now I want you to, he said, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and let's pretend like um, you're in a courtroom and you're sitting in the courtroom and I'm going to ask you some directive questions. My first question is going to be, where's your grandfather in the courtroom? And he said, he is at the bench. I mean, he's at the defender's table uh, and uh, he looks Defiant. He looks like he knows he's going to win. He looks like he always looked at me, making me feel this small. And my, my friend uh, said, the counselor said to him, well, where are you in the courtroom? And my friend said, I'm the judge. <laughs> you know, I am the judge. And my friend uh, says, and then uh, the spiritual director said to him, well, where is Jesus in the courtroom? Now, my friend who's keeping his eye just immediately had to say, Jesus is not in the courtroom. Jesus is not here. Um, and, uh, and the spiritual director said, would you like to invite Jesus into the courtroom? And my friend said, yes. And said so he said, the doors came open and he said, this brilliant light just exploded in the courtroom. And he felt like in his chair, he was pressed up against the wall. And he began to weep because he realized the lie that he was holding on to is that I have a right to hold on to my bitterness and anger towards my grandfather. And the truth is I need to release him with forgiveness. The deceitfulness of sin holds us in bondage. We're easily distracted. Our hearts are cold. It hardens our hearts. The last thing is, is that, um, and this is probably the worst in John's kind of going through the list. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. 
Here's how you can know this if you walked in here today and you're so angry towards God or you're blaming God for what's happened in your life and in your story. That's, that's just a terrible place to be and yet God is here to help us, to rescue us. And this is where Jesus shows up to be our advocate and comes to show us the power of what we read in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. The beauty of the truth that we live out is we get to be in fellowship with one another, that we can celebrate with one another, but we can confess to one another I need to know God's forgiveness. I need to be free from the lie that's controlling me and my story. Will you pray for me? Will you lay hands on me? Will you help me find what James says in James 5, that we're to confess to one another, pray for one another, that we might be healed? A church is called to be a healing community where people who have known Jesus, walked with Jesus, have lost their way and want to come home but don't believe or can't find their way back. And there's nothing more beautiful, more powerful than what comes next where John says that if we um, walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. That there is amazing power in the present value of the blood of Christ to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to change us. I can remember um, I was on a train in Switzerland and I was just really struggling because someone had hurt me so deeply and I was feeling justified in holding on to my bitterness and resentment towards them. And I'm just doing my uh, daily reading until I came in Hebrews 9 to this verse where we read, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's one thing that can calm and settle and bring you peace in this crazy world, and that's the power of his blood. And what do we mean when we say that? It's saying, when I look at the cross, when I realize what Jesus did, when I drink from the cup, I realize that Jesus, by his blood, has forgiven me for all my sins. And what we read in this passage not all my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And there's wonder-working power in his blood. In every moment of every hour, I need to know Jesus and the power of his blood. Now, how does that become real? Because Jesus comes as our advocate and speaks to us about these things and says, I want to show you how in real time and in a way that really meets your deepest need, how my blood can free you up so that your chains fall off, your heart is free, you go, wow, I can't wait to see the thrill of living this way. And then in verse nine, it says, if we confess, we agree with God that we're believing things that are not true and we wanna believe the truth. If we confess, God is faithful, he always will forgive us. As a matter of fact, God is quick to forgive. He is just like, that's not my, he is so ready to forgive you this morning of what a mess you will let yourself become. And he's so ready to set you free because he is just Jesus the righteous. God doesn't see you and me when we come and confess and go, well, here you are again. You're confessing the same thing. When are you going to get it right? He doesn't shame us. He doesn't point his finger to us. He says, remember that Jesus has kept the very thing that you keep messing up in such a way that you can own his obedience for your life. 
And through that justice, that justification, that brilliant righteousness, you can be set free. There's forgiveness and there's righteousness. And for any of you who've been around Christianity for a while, this is the missing piece that a lot of people's sanctification, their understanding of their relationship with God, is that they don't see themselves the way God sees them. Uh, I love this friend of mine. He loves to tell the story of growing up at a church where his grandmother would take him to his church. His parents didn't go to church, but to keep him from not wiggling all over the place, she would feed him butterscotches uh, while he was in church. And so he'd be sucking on butterscotch and he'd start playing with the gold paper and he'd hold it up to the light and start looking at it. And he says, as I remember that story, I begin to realize when I fail, when I sin, God sees me through the red blood filter of his son. And as God looks at me, he sees me through Jesus, perfect sacrifice and perfect righteousness. So God is just to forgive me and accept me continually as I mess up. John Newton's hymn, Let Us Love and Wonder, he's got this great line where he says, let us wonder grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. When through grace and Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with his blood has secured our way to God. Do you know the smile of God's justice? That at the cross, Jesus met the justice of God to send us away from him forever and ever, to leave us in the darkness. But no, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to accept that at the cross Jesus died for all my sins, to forgive me for all my sins, but to give me the gift, to give me the gift of his son's righteousness. And when that begins to click and connect to your heart, your heart doesn't hurt, your heart starts to soar. Your head is not, you're not having all these headaches. You are just inspired with new vistas of what you can do for God. That all of a sudden where you felt just painted into a corner in your world, the gospel becomes incredible good news to say, I want to go serve God in the difficult, hard places, or I'm willing to work through these painful relationships in my family, or wherever God would take me because I'm so confident in who Jesus is and what he can do. I love uh, uh, Peterson's translation in the message, and here's how he writes the translates the first two verses of first john um, 2 1 and 2 he says i write this dear children to guide you out of sin but if anyone does sin we have a priest friend in the presence of the father jesus christ righteous jesus when he served as when he when he served as a sacrifice for our sins he solved the sin problem for good not only ours but the whole world's let us pray Father, we thank you this morning for uh, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the righteous, coming to break us out of our distraction, coming to break us, set us free from our deception, and to forgive us and cleanse us from really blaming you, God, for all our problems, uh, for putting you on the judgment and on the defense seat and us being the judge. Lord, thank you that you are so kind and merciful with us when we screw up and we mess things up so badly and we get so lost and so lord may you light up uh, 
just the throne room of grace in our stories today, that you might fill us with the brilliance of who you are, Jesus, for we ask it in your name. Amen.